Welcome to Well Connected, a podcast for faculty, staff, residents, and fellows of UT Health, brought to you by the UT Health Employee Assistance and Wellbeing Programs Office. I'm Julie Van Orden. And I'm Anna Alvarado. The goal of Well Connected is to create opportunities for employees to connect the dots between three things what's going on in our heads, how these thoughts and feelings affect our well being, and where we can find resources through the university to work toward a resolution. For today's discussion, we introduce another member of our employee assistance and well-being team, Robin Dickey. Robin holds a PhD in integrative medicine with a specialization in integrative mental health and a master's degree in professional counseling. She is also our senior faculty assistant specialist, a licensed professional counselor, and a certified integrative wellness coach, among a host of other credentials. Robin, welcome to the conversation. Thank you for having me. So Robin, today we're going to talk about fatigue related to the roles that we have both at home and in the workplace. Specifically, we'll be discussing compassion fatigue for clinicians, family caregivers, and even customer service providers. We have a lot of ground to cover today. So Robin, I want to ask you, first thing, can you define for us, what is compassion fatigue? Compassion fatigue means feeling like you just don't have any more empathy left to give. Um, it's that simple. <laughs> <laughs> Very quite simply, yeah. Well, how do you run out of empathy? Is it from burnout? So burnout usually stems from having too much work or too many responsibilities on your plate. So anyone at any given moment could be experiencing burnout. Mm -hmm. But compassion fatigue is an experience that specifically comes from helping others. So someone might experience compassion fatigue when your job is to focus on other people and your goal is to help and it's intentional helping. And after a while, that can get a little tiresome. So I'll give you an example. When I was going through my training, one of the key factors that was mentioned is that you are in a helping profession and to try and see all beings through compassionate eyes which is a beautiful statement, but when you have a whole lot of beings every single day, that is a whole lot of compassion. And so if there isn't a way to recharge or if it's something that happens every single day, it can be very difficult to find and cultivate that same level of compassion every single day for every single being. Mm. So that's why this term compassion fatigue was originally slated for those in the helping professions. So healthcare workers, first responders, um, individuals who work with law enforcement, where they might be exposed to a lot of trauma in others, and your job is to help someone else through their traumas. Is it that um, repeated trauma? Is that what's going on? It's that need to always be on and viewing people through that compassionate face. So another example, a simple example would be when you're in traffic and if you are in a lane that is merging into one and you've been in that lane a long time, you're following the rules, doing what you're supposed to do, and someone comes up next to you and wants to come in, and it's the first time you haven't been sitting in traffic very long, and so you let them in, they give you a little wave, mm -hmm. and so everything's fine. And then you keep moving along and you're closer and closer to that exit, and another person comes zooming in. And so you let them in also, you're trying to be nice, 
where then another person comes in and they don't know that you just helped two other people or three other people. And so you might start moving closer to the person's bumper in front, being a little bit more assertive, taking care of yourself first. And they don't know that and they're giving you dirty looks and you may be thinking, I'm sorry, it's just I've already done this several times and they can't hear you. And you're just, you know, making signals with your hands in your cars. And then as a result of that, instead of just thinking in your mind and starting over the next day, if this is your traffic route and you go there every single day or Monday through Friday, that's a lot of traffic. You may just avoid that exit altogether, may find other ways so you don't have to deal with people who might make you feel angry. Mm -hmm. You'll do things to avoid that sense of responsibility by letting someone else in or having to deal with the hand waves or not getting that wave. That little hand gesture makes all the difference. If you don't get that, you may not want to let more people in. So that's kind of an example of what compassion fatigue could look like on a minimized scale. Right. I love that analogy. It's just simplistic and it really helps bring it home for me. When I think about all right, so you you identified these helping fields, but does compassion fatigue extend to other industries like the other, I think about other helping fields? Oh, yes. Any field that you can think of where you have to be intentionally helping. So customer service, people who work with individuals for the sake of making their lives easier or better, that intensity that you might have to provide in that passion is beautiful and you can get something from that, but it might come at a cost where you stop focusing on your own needs. And I'm thinking of parents in this particular sense or caregivers of other individuals. You want to help, you want to give, but there may be a limit to your ability to do that. And then you may feel like, I have to do this again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I have to do this again tomorrow. Or maybe it's the same person that you have to help over and over and over again. So in customer service, you may work with individuals in the same field or they know to call you for help. They may even joke and say, oh, yeah, I've got that person on speed dial, which sounds (laughs) like a great compliment, except for that means they have you on speed dial. And that's how they're going to get a hold of you. And then you have to then live up to that expectation, too. Like, oh, I'm the one that's on their speed dial. So I have to be available. I have to do this. So it loses something there. Yeah. So I'm, you know, guilty here uh, in advance. I kind of asked that for selfish reasons because I I had an experience when I was working in corporate wellness and it was with um, an energy company and I was on the kind of like an IT help desk, except it wasn't IT, it was a wellness help desk. And I I got all the calls for wellness and they had um, this interesting thing set up where people would get a surcharge um, and get penalized on their paycheck if they didn't meet certain wellness standards like their blood pressure, their BMI, their glucose. Yeah, it was the a very unusual setup to say the least. And so when they would see this in their paychecks, most of them would notice it at the beginning of the fiscal year, but then there would be so many that would just like let it go, let it go. And all of a sudden they start noticing it on their paycheck and I'm the person they call. And so every time I, it started out really okay because I have all this empathy and I want to help them understand because I really understand that what was going on for them is they are not only feeling potentially judged about their health because they didn't meet the right BMI standard, or their blood pressure was too high or their cholesterol was too high. They had five and they had to meet three out of three out of five. 
Or the other thing that I was really in tune with is that, you know, you're kind of in a way messing with somebody's paycheck. That's the word that they always said to me mm-hmm. is that a phrase, you're messing with my pay. And so those two things, you know, finances and your health. So it got to where I just like would see that phone number come up and I was getting a lot of calls, like hundreds of them. And I would like start to get heart palpitations and I'm like, it's not my fault in my head. I'm saying, oh my gosh, I got to pick this up. Who am I going to deal with? Because they were never calling to say, hey, how you doing? They're calling (laughs) to say, I got a problem with this and I'm the front line for that. So is that at all compassion or is that compassion fatigue or is that burnout? No, that makes a lot of sense. You hit a lot of the key factors there. So noticing already the heart palpitations, feeling that there's automatically going to be some trust that you have to build with this person. They may be coming in at you already upset. And so part of your job is going to have to bring them back down to a level where you can talk with them about these things. And you're the go-to person and not necessarily a happy go-to person, like he says. So there's a lot more responsibility that's placed on you besides here is a strategy. This is what you can do to be effective and get that money. When someone's saying those things to you also, that you're getting in the way of my money. Well, you, Julie, aren't doing that, but it may feel like that. And so you start to internalize all of these things. And then you had to feel that. And again, also thinking of parents, you take on a lot. You hear your kids say things to you like, don't you like your food? I made you. And there's a lot of these messages that you get internalized. And that can really contribute to that sense of compassion fatigue versus burnout, which is having a lot of responsibility. So being having 100 callers, that could lead to burnout in general, because that's just a lot of tasks that need to be done, which can be bothersome and make you feel worn out. But compassion fatigue is a whole different level where it's intimately related with who you are and your values and your beliefs and the service that you're offering somebody else. Anna, Robin, I'm feeling like right now we need to like give some praise to some people at UT Health. I'm oh, thinking yes. I'm thinking the help desk at IT. I'm thinking human relations, uh, employee relations, uh, the human resources department, all of our clinicians like lot and honor to all of you listening because this is this is real and it's um, I had it on a little tiny level for a short period of time I cannot imagine that on a long 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 term basis two and a half years was enough for me yeah yeah <laughs> just a little bit of that praise and and putting it out there little shout outs can make a huge difference more so than you can think yeah. um, but and when it's almost thankless because it's expectation then there's that need to figure out what you can do to remind yourself that you Mm -hmm. are doing these things for other people and that there's value in it and that you're getting something. So you don't hit that level of burnout or compassion fatigue. I like that. It's not just your job in trying to find the real reason why. Um, So you've touched on... um, a few of the cues or signs to let us know that we're approaching our fatigue point. Can you give us a few more examples and elaborate on that just so we can see those warning signs? Yeah. So as Julie had said, that heart palpitations that Mm -hmm. she experienced, so there's a little bit of anxiety might come in. So physiological responses, things to pay attention to, Uh, If you know what your stress looks like when you experience stress, so maybe you get muscle tension or uh, dry mouth or 
just uh, belly issues, anything that comes up on the Pepto-Bismol commercials, basically. <laughs> and you're like, that's me, that's it. And it has something to do with your job or it's something that you see in whatever shift you might be working. So it's a work shift or a second shift as a parent or as a caregiver, whatever that looks like. Um, but overall, it's kind of like burnout in the sense that it's a slow burn. So it can develop mm. over time. You may not even notice it's happening because we just take on more and more. You take on right. more assignments, you do more work, there's more expectations of you, and we just keep adding it on. And it's taking a toll on us, but we can't see it necessarily because we just accept it as is. And so the sooner you notice what your stress or what your compassion fatigue limit might look like, it could also look like wanting to separate yourself from the things that you typically enjoy, uh, being around individuals that normally would make you feel good. So being out in public when you get to hang out with people uh, safely in the pandemic, of course, yeah. but you get that joy from being around other people if you're not feeling that anymore. So just looking for these internal mm -hmm. signals that might be giving you clues that you're about to hit your limit. Yeah. I really oh. loved what she said, Anna. Which one? Your stuff, <laughs> your stress. So you personalize, Robin, what what does your stress look like? Because I do tend to, you know, discount things because it doesn't look like maybe the textbook stress or what other people are experiencing because I am quirky. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I have a little, you know, I have my own ways that I I see it, you know, it might be my comfort food or whatever, but yeah, your stress is so good. I was going to ask you, how do you know your own stress, Julie? Um, I'm discovering it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a new level of, of that right now where I've, I, I don't know if it's the pandemic has uh, really done a lot of self-searching and because I, you know, think everything's good and, but, um, uh, but isn't that the struggle for everyone since we are in this pandemic world? How do you try to figure out your own stress? Because I feel like we're all just trying to survive, but everyone is on on the same playing field. So how do you figure out, is, it, is this just my new level of stress now? Or is this, you know yeah. what I mean? I, if, if I'm struggling and you're struggling, then this is okay, right? Because we're all on the same page. It's not really that stressful because we're in the pandemic world. Like I, Together. for me, I feel like I try to play it down because it is the pandemic. It's hard on everyone. So how do you identify your own stress and your new level of stress? I guess that's the question. You have to try to figure out your new level, right? So that's a great point. And part of that is, as you mentioned, that we're all at the same level of stress, but it's not so much the actual stress so much as our reaction to that stress. Okay. So that's what we have control over. We may not have any control over the amount of stress that is continuously thrown at us. And we may be at an even playing field in your mind of, wow, I really shouldn't get all upset about this because other people have it so much more difficult mm -hmm. than I do. Yeah. Or everyone at work is experiencing the same things. Yes. Why should I complain? Yes. But what that does is minimize that sense of control that you have over feeling okay and renewing yourself. So the shoulds that we put on ourselves can be what actually causes the damage. So if you tell yourself, Anna, I should be able to work all day long, handle the kids, mm -hmm. get eight hours of sleep, make my dinners ahead of time, yeah. all of these shoulds that no one else is telling you that you have to do except for yourself, then it may look like you're not reaching that. And that is very stressful. 
So your stress response may be a lot different than the actual stress that's there. And our mind and body don't know the difference between a perceived threat and an actual threat. So if you're sitting there thinking about all of these stressful things and not giving yourself an opportunity in some way to ground or let that go, then you're continuously keeping that stress response cycle going. Mm-hmm. So you'll keep feeling all of the stress responses, adrenaline rushes, the tummy issues, whatever it looks like, physiological changes, because your body thinks there is a bear chasing you and you either need to fight that bear or run away from that bear. And there isn't actually a bear there. And so if you can remind yourself in the moment through deep breathing, through grounding, just for the moment to reorient yourself, you can remind yourself of some positive self-talk that can help to counter some of those negative self-talk items that we have a tendency to tell ourselves that can make us believe that what around us that is stressful, we don't have control over rather than looking at what we do have control over and giving ourselves credit for what we actually get done. I really like that you picked up on what Anna was saying and you said, um, you brought up the point because it, I deal with this too, Anna, the same thing mm-hmm. is that who am I to feel stressed when mm-hmm. all of these other people are dealing with that? So, but are we getting off of compassion fatigue by talking about stress or is this all, it's all related to it's it? It's all related it's all... in the sense that if you experience that stress response, that is telling you something about your ability to address with compassion. And so that could be contributing to your ability to find that compassion and that intentional helping that you'll need to do it again the next day, to do it again the next day. So if you recognize those abilities that you have within you or that new ones, new resources to minimize your stress response or change it, adapt it in different ways, then you may be able to tap into what will help you find that compassion more continuously through really stressful times because we're in fiscal year three now of this pandemic and it's not necessarily getting easier. So it's helpful to look what we have control over in general that will help us find that compassion to continue moving through it. I love how you acknowledge that it's not getting easier. I feel like it's still still pretty much the same. (laughs) Um, So you had touched on earlier uh, positive self-talk, deep breathing, Can you give us some more examples on how to prevent fatigue or address it when we find ourselves struggling? So one thing to pay attention to that we have a tendency not to do is the whole putting your own oxygen mask on before helping others. Mm -hmm. So it sounds counterintuitive to take care of yourself before others, but if you aren't taking care of yourself then you may not be able to show up for others. So when you recognize that you might be sacrificing more of your self-care for the purposes of someone else or for the task at hand or whatever it is without also finding what helps to soothe you, then you may notice that you're reaching that brink, which is important information. So being able to tell, okay, I'm about to hit my limit. I've got to do something for myself. And then finding what works well for you, which typically does mean helping the nervous system to relax in some way. So as I said, you know, grounding, finding time to either incorporate some kind of positive self-talk at the end of the day versus negative self-talk. So if you have a to-do list, maybe giving yourself a ta-da list. So the things that you actually <laughs> completed. I love that. So when you look at it, you're like, I still have this to do, this to do, this to do, only three things checked off. But what did you accomplish? And how does that make you feel like you can show up the next day and do it all over again? Because you consistently were able to do this. Like I showed up, I gave it my all today and that feels good. 
So acknowledging what you do well will help you in the long run and the next day to do it all over again. I have to say this uh, brought kind of this full circle concept for me when you said the ta-da list, because I'm always telling people from the wellness perspective. And most of the time when people uh, approach us about wellness, that's why we're trying to expand that they need to understand we have whole person wellness, but folks will often approach us about diet and exercise. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, did you choose tea or water over soda today. That's a ta-da moment. You can't unchoose that. You already made this different choice. Did you choose the stairs over the elevator today? So you can't un-elevator, you know, <laughs> you can't unwalk those stairs. You did it. So the, I, I love that. And I, mm -hmm. I, I do apply that ta-da to uh, physical and nutrition, but I haven't done it to the mental health thing. I love that. Yay! <laughs> Revelation. Yeah. Yes. So what if we see someone struggling? What can we do to help them? Have a conversation. Ask some tough questions and meet them where they are without trying to give them that pep talk. Like Everything's going to be okay. You can do it. You, you have, if anyone can do it, you can. Those types of things which sound like they're helpful, but they inevitably will make someone feel like that there's more that they could be doing or should be doing and kind of minimizing what they're experiencing. So sometimes just giving them an ear and sitting there and letting them talk about what they're experiencing, uh, the sense of being heard can really go a long way sometimes and make a difference. I know I've been really guilty of the pep talk. Um, in the past, I'm evolving. I'm a constantly evolving human being. And um, I did it a lot primarily with my daughter, my adult daughter. And I was always like, you know, you can do this. You know, you're a strong woman. You And, and she would be facing some you know, serious issues or things going on in the workplace or in her school life. And I'm like, you can do this. And I felt like I was being really positive and reinforcing, but we had some conversations. And what I really learned about that is that it didn't allow, like from her perspective, it didn't sound reinforcing. It didn't allow her to have that moment of vulnerability and those emotions that she was experiencing. All she wanted to be was heard and be seen and heard, so they say, you know, and it's the same thing. I, I've experienced that myself. And so when she really had a, a chance to put her voice to me, I was able to be a better parent, a, be a, a better parent to an adult where I'm not being her cheerleader. I'm being a listener. And uh, I think that really has helped us to stay close as, as um, adults and grow and still get to have that mother-daughter relationship, but also have some level of... Um, a colleague respect and friendship and that sort of thing. So it's really expanded the dimension of our relate. It's very nurturing, you know, I think when, you know, expanded the dimensions of our relationship. And I think it's because I was nurturing her instead of directing, you know? Yes. Taking that role and shifting it more towards empathy and just yes. being there and saying that is a lot to go through versus saying something of encouragement, which makes us feel good because we want to give it as a gift to them. Like you want someone who's talking to you to walk away with a pretty little bow on top and think that was a great conversation. I feel so much better. Yeah. But that may not be the role that they're looking for because it may not be an easy solution. It may be something they deal with every single day. And so just to know that you have an outlet, which could be professional help seeking a mental health counselor to speak to, or even a coach to get through some work-life balance issues can be really valuable. So you have that sacred space where you can, without judgment or impact on other people that you are then helping, just to clear the air and say, this is really heavy. 
and to allow yourself to feel a bit lighter and not carry that weight around as much. This is like a manual on how to become a better listener. Because, <laughs> yes. you know, being seen and heard is, I feel like, a, a core human need. We all want to feel seen and heard. It touches everything. It touches what we started out with, which was, you know, our, our health caregivers, our first responders, our police officers. And then it went to, you know, uh, our uh, customer service reps and now to parenting because really, you know, compassion fatigue and the stress responses that we have, it really touches all aspects of our lives. So. Right. So we are getting to the end. And as we wrap up this episode, Robin, what is your most valuable piece of wisdom about mental health self-care that you want to share with our listeners today? That self-care does not mean selfish. I love that. I don't know who needs to hear this, but you are doing enough and you are enough. I really love that. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the, the big labels I, I, I attach to myself. Thank you, Robin, for being our guest today. That wraps it all up for us. Um, I'm so grateful for you and your, this important conversation that we've had today. And I hope our listeners um, got some good takeaways, yes, right? Yes, yeah. I think, you know, compassion fatigue is definitely something a lot of our listeners are, are struggling with. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And uh, and uh, thank you for being a um practitioner because I'm sure that this is close to home that you have had your moments where you have experienced and have you I mean we are talking no, to you like once. you're completely <laughs> like you're completely like immune to this but no it's one of the things that's really powerful about the team that I work with though is we support each other and we give each other that space when needed so if we are noticing that there's an uptick in our services that are needed that we also see an uptick in our services that we provide each other, which is that compassionate support. Because actually helping others in that sense and giving someone else the space can make you feel like you're contributing in a different way. And that feels good in itself. So we do a lot internally to support each other and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I do know because we all work together and we're, we work in the same suite and we're all on the same team that um, we strive very hard yeah, you guys work very hard as well to be a healthy team so that you can be healthy for the people that are contacting you. So, yes, we wear our oxygen masks. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, I want to thank our listeners for taking this journey with us. That's our conversation for today, and we hope that you'll join us again for more meaningful conversations around personal well-being. Listeners. If you need to speak with a counselor immediately or schedule a counseling appointment, please call our office at 713-500-3327 and our confidential team will direct you to the faculty or staff representative who can help you. I know we send a lot of people to our website, but if you're in need now, just call us. 500-3327. You also can reach us just to know, 365. We are here 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for you. It's also important that you know that EAP, many of our EAP services and our well-being services are available to your dependents. For other resources, please send Anna and me an email at wellness at uth.tmc.edu and we will help you connect the dots to the best resource for you. Thank you for listening, everyone.